Hey everybody, welcome back to Fifty Shades of Blue, which, by the way, is soon to come going to be undergoing a name change, or brand change, if you will, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a little bit more relatable, a little bit more on brand. We don't have things set up quite yet to do that, so for now we're still Fifty Shades of Blue. Anyway... On today's episode, a good friend of mine, Steve Holiday, comes on to the podcast. We went to grad school together, both the master's and the PhD program at Texas Tech. And he is a big movie buff. We don't really get into his research at all. He has interesting research at that. Maybe that'll be for another podcast episode. But anyway, Steve comes with some impressive chops in terms of movie expertise. He really knows movies very well he has strong opinions on those and he's a big fan of the oscars in general and he has kind of an annual party that he does and he has a prediction and he like a pool that he does with his family anyway he makes it pretty fun so i thought it'd be interesting to bring him on because i wanted to talk about kind of the hollywood elites the oscar elites and kind of all the problems going on there how the ratings have just plummeted and the disconnect between hollywood and society in general i hope you find this enjoyable steve is a very interesting guy I always appreciate our conversations. I'm assuming you will appreciate this one as well. Who knows for sure? Please let me know what you think. And as always, if you like this episode, please share. Um, It obviously helps the podcast in general. I'm not looking for monetary incentive, more just anything, just that it resonates and that people appreciate it. So anyway, if you like it, please share, subscribe, do whatever. Anyway, y'all have a good weekend, rest of your week. Weather's getting awesome. Go out and play some pickleball. Things are looking great. Anyway. I'll see y'all next week. Today we have Steve Holiday, Dr. Stephen J. Holiday, excuse me, doctor, uh, from the joining us from the University of Alabama. Um, you are a professor of the communications department. Your specialty is uh, media effects for children, more or less, but you kind of have a broad range that you cover, as do a lot of professors um, in you know, various majors and disciplines. Um, But Steve, you've been one of my closest friends for a long time now. And I wanted you you. on because you are specifically kind of a movie buff. You enjoy movies. That's something you and I actually really get along well with. We both enjoy movies. It's kind of how we connected. It's like the first thing we like really connected on. So, Yeah. I would agree. And not to, you know, take too much time on this, but we weren't, we definitely weren't friends when we first met and we might've not even liked each other that much, but that happens. I think that's a pretty statement, but very quickly we started doing Tuesday night movies during grad school. That's true. That's how we kept our master's program was we'd go see a movie every Tuesday night. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. And you were the one that convinced me to invest in a movie pass which happened to be a terrible investment so it was not a terrible investment for like six months those of us that actually used it every single day like i don't even think it lasted six months dude i think it lasted like three yeah it started going crap like i got it for christmas that year my wife got it for me for christmas and uh it was the most awesome christmas gift i think i've ever gotten and starting january like i would go to the movie every single day Four days a week, I was watching some terrible movies. But but for that year, yeah, until like the app started working and started getting clunky and then they started restricting things. Probably, it was probably about six months. It was probably like June or July. And then by October, I'd just given up on it and didn't renew it the next year. But but I'm I'm probably the I'm probably the one, the reason that they stopped um, doing the plans they did. I mean, me and other people like me that would go see literally four to six movies a week. And you'd see uh, movies like multiple times. I actually would too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so 
we're not really necessarily here to talk about your discipline, unfortunately, even though you could give us a lot of right. cool information. One of which I know you've said before is that in your discipline, what they've found from a cognitive perspective is that a lot of children develop at a very, um, what's the word, uh, at a very important level with their brains at the age of, right, right around the age of eight. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, my background, I study a lot. I've, my specialization has to do with children and media and the development of the child consumer. And so I know we're going to be talking about other things today, but yeah, one of the things that might, that fascinated me about my, our literature, especially as a member of the church was that uh, the more I read, I started realizing that children develop a lot of really important cognitive steps and cognitive processes right between the ages of seven and nine, right around the age of eight. So children will develop uh, a concrete knowledge of the difference between right and wrong or the ability to take someone else's perspective and uh, empathize with another person, which when we're baptized, one of the things we commit to is to um, is to suffer with those who or suffer, comfort those who stand in need of comfort, right? So to do that, you have to be able to develop the ability to empathize and take someone else's perspective. And so it's fascinating as I looked at media and child development that that's so much science around that shows that that's actually when kids uh, develop those abilities. And so it magically, I don't know what, what word we want to use, but it, it just happens to coincide with the, the revelation on, on the age of accountability. Well, how about that? Co what, yeah. what a coincidence if I've ever seen one. Am I wrong? Right, right. Geez, <laughs> these coincidences that that, yeah. that people are like, wow, that's crazy. They just threw a weird age out there. And then over the last 20, 30 years, we've just solidified that. No, that's right when children can make decisions for themselves and, and actually see other people's perspectives and empathize with people. So, All right. Well, very yeah. cool. As fascinating as that is, we're unfortunately yeah. not here to talk about that. We'll um, talk about that another day. Sure. That's right. We can cover that another time because you are a very interesting guy. So we could absolutely have you on again. Um, Steve, I'll tell you what, though. We got to talk about uh, the Oscars 2021 and how stupid they are and how terrible Hollywood is altogether. Are you here okay. for that? Yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Um, I Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's see where this takes us, because <laughs> I think there are a lot of. There are a lot of tragic things that happened at the Oscars and happened in movies last last year. And there there are some cool things, though. There are some there are some really neat movies that that were either that got onto our radar because of because of these self-aggrandizing award shows that we all that we all watch and we all take part in. But also um, uh, things we never would have saw and things that helped to get us through the pandemic too. some movies that really connected with us on an emotional level during the last year too. So let's talk, let's do this. Yeah, sure. But I mean, before we get into that, cause we will, and we will, but All right. I, I'm just, the, the movies that get nominated have stopped being relatable. It seems like for one and another, um, it's more about a self-aggrandizing, a party for Hollywood more than anything to talk about how awesome they are. But the, what was unprecedented for even for Hollywood and our culture was that the majority of Americans hadn't seen, it seems like it's kind of the number going around the majority of Americans majority hadn't seen a single movie that had been nominated. Now, obviously part of that was COVID. There's no question about that. Sure. Sure. But not all of it, I'm sure. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that there's this growing chasm between our actual culture and Hollywood's culture. Yeah. And you know, and I think that bears out when we look at, when you look at the numbers of people that actually watch the Oscars this year, if we're looking at the Oscars as the benchmark of, of what we should watch and what we should be involved in, what we should be aware of when it comes to movies, only 9.8 million people actually tuned into that show. So it doesn't surprise me and uh, where granted we pushed off they pushed off the the nomination deadlines but with the nominations coming out it doesn't surprise me a lot of people saw those nominations and were like you know what I I don't even know what these movies are I haven't seen very many of these movies I'd struggle I'd looking at the list of nominees though I'd really struggle to say that a majority of Americans hadn't heard of any of them maybe maybe not seen but I mean you did you had some movies in there that Oh, I'd um, heard, I'd heard of some of them, but that doesn't, that doesn't really mean anything to me. Like, who cares if I'd heard of the movies? 
the fact yeah, that yeah, yeah. the movies that were nominated according to Hollywood standards of these are movies basically essentially that everyone should see or that are meaningful in a way that really captivate uh, human emotion and human nature or whatever else thing that basically just makes it relatable to any degree whatsoever. And yeah. most of Americans are saying, yeah, y'all can F off. Like this is, I don't care. And sure, I heard of Judas and the Black Messiah, and that one actually did look interesting. And I may see that at some point. I heard of the tr- trial of Chicago Seven of the Chicago Seven. Um, had not heard of. I don't think any of the others. The father m- is it Mink or Monk? Mink. Mink. Yeah. Mink About- Minari. I hadn't heard of Nomadland either. I'm thinking. I don't think I have. And Promising Young Woman and Nomadland one. I hadn't even heard of that yeah. one. I'm pretty sure. Well, and you know, in Nomadland, even though it's only brought in like $4 million at the box office, given it's a weird box office year, but Nomadland's a Hulu movie too. So it's so it's a streaming film. So it's not even like, man, you guys aren't even in touch with what's on streaming because Trial of the Chicago 7. That was on Netflix, uh, I knew that. Sound of Metal was an Amazon Prime movie. No, Nomadland was uh, a Hulu movie. Mank was a Netflix movie. Uh, all those movie, like almost half of those are streaming films. And so there are things that we could watch from our, from our um, isolated yeah, lives. Comfort during of our own homes. You're right. Yeah. Uh, maybe the only movie that, that a lot of people had seen on there is Tenet, but even Tenet had a weird. That wasn't, even a, that wasn't a best picture nominee though. No, it got two nominations in technical categories, right? So in visual yeah. production design and visual effects. Oh, so. you're right. That is one that I saw. I did see that yeah. one, and that wasn't even available on streaming. That was in the theater, no. and I went to a theater like five times last year. <laughs> well, and that's another thing, though. When we think of movies that we're all excited to see, like a few years ago, we had Black Panther nominated for Best Picture, right? Um, granted, not a lot of people watch those Oscars either. like, And so there, there is this disconnect, but when we think of, when people say, hey, what should you be aware of? Um, most of the movies we go see, are these movies that if they make Oscars, they're going to show up in like the visual effects category, or they're going to show up in production design or sound is another category that has a lot of these we'd call blockbusters. The problem last year is there were no blockbusters for us to go see. There was no, we pushed off all of our, I mean, Wonder Woman didn't even show up in here uh, in the visual effects or anything like that. And that's one of the ones that did make the cut. Uh, But when we look at a lot of the movies that got pushed off, whether that's Black Widow or, um, uh, yeah, I'd have to think of some of the big family movies like Jungle Cruise and stuff. All these ones kind of got pushed off. But you, the cool thing is you see some movies showing up in those visual effects, like the one and only Ivan, which had phenomenal visual effects in the creation of in the creation of these characters or uh, or of Love and Monsters, which is just kind of a, a goofy, funny movie. But the visual effects and the creation of the monsters and the environment in that movie are phenomenal. In normal years, would those movies have ever gotten an Oscar? No, because they'd probably be buried beneath the blockbusters that we're all familiar with. But nobody shows up at an Oscar telecast saying, man, I'm sitting here for the visual effects category. I've seen all those, and I'm really excited to see what movies are going to win that Oscar. I mean, those are the ones we usually say they're below the line category. So most of us just kind of like go get our ice cream while they're announcing those ones and wait for the actor and the actress and uh, and the best picture, which even in this year's Oscars, they announced the best picture way early in the show. Even it wasn't even the last one that showed up. And so just weird things that happen at the Oscars, but also weird things that happen in movies that kind of made this year's movie kind of irrelevant. But that said, there are some movies in there that I think are movies that we need to be aware of. I think there are a couple movies on that list. I think we need to be socially aware of and not um, depending where you stand socially or where you stand personally. I think there were some really meaningful um, movies on the on that list that I would have never been aware of. Like, had the Oscars not announced these nominees, I probably wouldn't have been aware of Minari. Minari is a phenomenal film. Um, All right, tell us about, a little bit about Minari. So Minari is uh, it's in it's in Korean, but it's about a Korea a family of Korean immigrants that uh, starring Steven Yoon from Walking Dead. Uh, and he he and his family moved to moved to Nebraska and decide they want to start a farm growing ag- Korean like Korean agriculture and Korean uh, um, plants that they can sell to Korean markets. Uh, there's they decide there's big Korean markets, people that want Korean uh, vegetables. Uh, and so they need. And so he's like, I'm going to grow a whole farm. 
And it's really just a drama about his family struggling in today's economy to try to farm for a very particular audience and the way they grow as a family and a beautiful film. And it actually won Best Supporting Actress and in it so deserved it. Uh, if you look at uh, the performance by Yu, Yu Jung Yoon. Um, all right, all right. You're now you're getting esoteric. I'm going to cut you off. I know. Here. I'm going to get iso- I'm going to get a little esoteric, but no, a beautiful isoteric. movie. I wouldn't have been that movie. <laughs> Fine, esoteric. <laughs> what is what is esoteric? What did you say? I am esoteric. Is that what you're saying? I am. I am. I am an able. Right. Like that's exactly. That's literally what you're saying. That's true. Good. That's how you translate that. No, no, real quick though. Let me, let me, let me slow you down here, Steve. All right. I need to, I need to bring you back to like, I, we're going to turn off Dr. Steve for here for a second. And um, I understand what you're saying about, you know, there needs to be some cultural awareness or whatever. Um, uh, And I, I, I have a hard time kind of, deciding like who gets to choose like what we should be aware of now i hear you talking about minari and i'm thinking you know what there is something to say about that you know i don't know anything about the plight of that's not true it's not that i don't know anything but there's a lot of things i don't know about the plight of the immigrant that comes to our country and i think that's fascinating and i think if it can you know advance empathy or sympathy among more of us in our culture and society, I think that's a good thing ultimately. Um, but who's to say that, I mean, it's the Screen Actors Guild that essentially like goes into deciding who gets the nominees, right? Those with a vote within the Screen Actors mm-hmm. Guild, is that how it works? Well, the Screen Actors Guild, so the Screen Actors Guild make up a good portion of the Academy. Screen Actors Guild actually have their own awards, if we're being technical, where they, but yes, the the people who win the Screen Actors Guild a lot of time turn around and win the Oscars for acting. So who nominates so, the the Oscars? Actors, actors, producers, directors. All right, so writers. all the elites, the Hollywood elites. Okay, and all in order to have a vote to nominate, are you know they have to have made it to a certain degree. I'm sure, like they're not just giving it to any average Joe that's involved in Hollywood, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. And, yeah, and and that's been the issue. And I honestly, I don't know all everything goes into picking those, but the, the, that's been one of the historical issues is that they believe there's not there's not enough diversity in how they select and who gets who gets voted. Or who well, I remember there was the hashtag Oscar So White that was going around right. a couple years ago. I think Jada Pinkett Smith was kind of leading that charge. Yeah. But regardless, but even there, like the problem, even there, the problem becomes though, did are there just not enough people on the Academy or there, are there just not enough quality movies that have underrepresentative populations in them? I guess at its base, I don't understand why a show like the Oscars gets such praise and importance when in reality, it's just Hollywood deciding what's good in Hollywood. Don't you think there should be more of an objective third party approach to something like that? And I'm not talking about the golden globes because the golden globes is the Hollywood foreign press. Yeah. As Ricky Gervais made us all very aware of through his <laughs> when he hosted it last time, which was amazing. And for anybody that hasn't seen like the clips of that or the kind of like the the highlights of Ricky Gervais talking at the or they, hosting the Golden Globes for I think the third year in a row, it's incredible. They keep bringing him back. They keep bringing him back, and he keeps being the same way. Right? He's so yeah, so critical. But they're like, yeah, we want that's how we connect is we make it seem like we're not elite. But there's also there's a People's Choice Award. But how many people? Why isn't that? Is, like, why isn't that popular? Yeah, right. Like, why isn't that popular? Does that have to do with the media power and the power that the media has and the power that Hollywood has to say, "What well, this is, we're going to orient you towards this"? As the that would be my guess. Award? I mean, when does the People's Choice Awards? When does that air? And how much? How much money goes into the budget for promoting that in the first place? I mean, I'm sure you can't answer that, but I'd imagine just by Basing it off of popularity alone, you can say that the People's Choice Awards doesn't get nearly enough in the budget compared to what the Oscars gets in order to pump that. Because the Oscars not only gets all that money probably to do that, but also it is the last big awards show of the awards season. Yeah. And so yeah. that already tells you like they think it's the most important. But if they were to just simply switch the dates and pump more money into the promotion, I imagine that would honestly fix it in terms of popularity. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Am you I can mistaken? I mean, you can see it, and I think you're right because yeah, the People's Choice Awards—it's one of the earliest ones. It actually happens in November, but it's 
It, there's an online voting system that the general public and fans can vote in. But also, even the night before the Oscars, you have the Independent Spirit Awards. That is a bunch of independent films, which arguably a lot of there were a, there's a lot of overlap between the Oscar nominations this year and the Independent Spirit Awards because they started recognizing a lot of independent films, which they've done in the past. But but who pays attention to the Independent Spirit Awards? Nobody pays attention to these small independent films. A lot of them premiered at Sundance uh, or at Toronto Film Festival. A lot of these uh, big film festivals, but. Nobody pays attention to that. It's there's some kind of orientating orientation that happens that tells us you need to be aware of this. We're going to position it. We're going to promote it. We start seeing those for your consideration banners all over every website we go to. So we know it's a, we're aware of it culturally, but, but again, but, but we don't care. Like in the end, only 9 million people actually almost 10 million people watched it. And if we're, I think those you, of you there's that, another way of saying that less than 10 million people watched it. That's an yeah, unbelievable than, drop off from what it has been, by the way, which I kind of talked about in my last episode. Yeah. So la- last year, 23 million, which was the lowest ever. 23 point something million was the and lowest ever. And it dropped ever. off by more than half. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I do yeah. think some of that is COVID. A lot of people are pointing to like the political ramifications and how politicized Hollywood has gotten, which I'm sure that played a factor. I don't know. I'm not willing to say how much because I have zero clue. I'm sure there's plenty of variables. I think COVID played probably the single biggest would be my guess, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. I just think there was a general disinterest due to the fact that people weren't really go going to theaters and they just, yeah. but, but to your point, what makes it the most interesting is the fact that like more than half of those nominations were streamable. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Now, granted the ultimate statistic would be to identify you know, how many people have access to Hulu, Netflix, and whatever else is streamable Amazon Prime. And of those people, how many of them did or did not watch what was available to them? That would be a very fascinating stat, but that would be really expensive to conduct, I'm sure. But regardless, that would be the most telling. But if you go down, I mean, you keep going down that list. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, The United States versus Billie Holiday, Pieces of a Woman, One Night in Miami, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. These are all streaming films. None of these actually went to theaters. So there's a tremendous, and that's a cool cultural thing just to recognize for a minute, is that there's this huge push about about theaters being the being the pillar of of what good cinema is, uh, and a lot of Hollywood fought back saying no. Like they even tried to get the Oscars to not to not recognize streaming films that premiere at streaming and don't premiere in theaters. Yeah, uh, wasn't um, uh, Scorsese was a Big, Spielberg or Spielberg. Spielberg, was, Spielberg was that. Yeah. yeah, Scorsese was. He was the one that went after Marvel movies, which I I kind of agree yeah. with, <laughs> to be honest. But it's like going to an amusement park or something like that, is what he said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. he's not it, totally it, wrong on that, if you ask me. But uh, culturally, that's what we want to go to an amusement park, right? We want to go to an amusement park. We don't want to watch a woman wander around the country in her van as a nomad, especially yeah. in a year where we all felt isolated and lost and disconnected from humanity we don't want and to that's go to a movie that's what won best picture no not one best picture and best actress yeah real quick i, I mean I, I can relate to what scorsese's saying but at the same time if those are the ones making money then clearly like it's a cash cow and keep doing it i mean if if people love going to this i would never so i don't like superhero movies i don't like them but with that said i don't really criticize people that do because you know everybody has their own interests and if they can get a release watching that all for it Awesome. Good for I, you. I tried, I tried to drag you to so many superhero movies over the years, dude, and you just know, wouldn't dude. come with me. I Because I just, I just don't – they're not fulfilling to me. That's <laughs> all. That's all. But they're fulfilling to the a lot of other people, like, and that's great. Yeah, but at the same time, like, we get into superhero movies or uh, – yeah, we get into superhero movies, and the, the Academy started recognizing some, like Wonder Woman. Uh, a lot of people loved Wonder Woman, the original Wonder Woman, and it, and it got a lot of love from the Oscars. Which Black I still Panther. need to watch that at some point. I haven't seen the original or, or the second one. The second one, so the first one didn't look that appealing to me, but then I heard it was good by a lot of people I trusted. And so I was like, maybe I should check that out. Never have still. Then the second one came out and I saw the trailer and I was like, maybe it was the 80s thing, like the 80s approach. And I was like, that one's speaking to me. I'll be honest. Like that one, I might, I'm, I could watch that one. And I heard it stunk. So I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like a lot of people didn't like that one. They thought it was just like a, an overblown episode of a superhero television show or something. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, but I mean, but also we look at cultural consciousness and like I know this is me getting academic and preachy, but 
but we look at superhero movies, but you can also look at like the Academy loves like the Lord of the Rings movies we loved 15 years ago. And those are arguably superhero-ish movies um, following those same kind of tropes and those same kind of stories and the same ideologies. And well, I, didn't, I didn't watch those either. Superhero movies. So you're talking but about they also kind of things too, but yeah. Yeah. But clearly something seems to have deviated from what was kind of going on 10, 15, 20 years ago um in terms of what was getting nominated but let's go back to nomadland you brought that up because i wanted to t- i wanted to share this with you do you know who andrew schultz is you probably don't he's definitely not your guy when it comes to like who who might consume his content he's a comedian he's like friends with rogan and um he kind of he has his own like podcast he he has his own like i don't even know it's almost like uh a different approach to kind of what like the daily show did, you know, like have his own little rants mm-hmm. and he'll go off and he'll, he'll talk a lot about societal social things going on, but um, he'll do it in a really cynical, funny spin. And he tends to be what I would guess is more on the libertarian side. So he doesn't really like play, you know, conservative or liberal. Um, he criticizes both. It seems like quite a bit, but anyway, he pointed out something hilarious. He said the irony that, uh, that Nomadland is incredible because where the Oscars are is that they have to like fence off like a huge portion of where they are in the city in LA. So that way the homeless don't like creep into where they are with the red carpet and they're like photo ops and everything like that. And Nomadland is about a homeless woman trying to find herself after like the great recession. <laughs> and in her defense, she does say in the movie that she's not homeless. She's just without a home. Okay, so then they're okay to fence off the (laughs) the actual homeless people? Yeah, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. And never mind then, excuse my critique, and Andrew Schultz is totally off base and out of line here. But but I I understand what he's saying, and it it is is ironic. But it... um, It's a little tone deaf, too, on their part, when you think about it. I mean, if they were really trying to be of the people, they wouldn't fence anybody off. I mean, the, the fact that their own elitism is completely lost on them is is comical and horrifying at the same time i mean it's it's pretty incredible i don't know i mean i obviously clearly like i have a bone to pick with the hollywood elites and whatever not that i have anything personal it's just that i'm sick of it i'm sick of being talked down to by them all the time and saying how much i have to be better uh, of a person or whatever else or that we need to all be more aware of this that or the other when they're all living in their mansions. They're all living in these these grandiose lifestyles with these huge parties that serve caviar for appetizers. And I'm supposed to listen to them as being like in touch and knowing exactly what's going on in society and our culture. No, yeah, not a chance. Well, well, in this, in this, uh, I mean, this will probably a conversation for another one of your guests later too. But like when we talk about the Harry and Meghan thing, like. It's hard for me to, for somebody who, for people, it's hard for me for Hollywood or for mainstream media to connect with me on on these kind of social issues uh, and be like, hey, this is a really important social issue. Trial of the Chicago 7, this is a really important social issue that we need to deal with. Nomadland, this is an, arguably an important social issue we need to deal with. Uh, Prince Harry and, and, and Meghan, that this is an important social issue and we're part of you. We're... we're we represent or we experience the things you experience when it comes to racism or it comes to financial distress in your life. Like, no, you don't, you, you don't know. There's no (laughs) way you can comprehend who we are or connect with us. But at the same time, we eat it up as we're watching it. Right. We, we watch that Oprah episode and we're, we, we completely just eat that up because wow, she goes as an elite and as a royalty, she goes through the same things I've been to. No. She's not she's not experiencing it through the same lens, through the same experiences you are. And and that's what blows me away is that we're still allowing Hollywood to connect with us on that social level. And I, I yeah, that's where I get lost. Well, are we? So, so that's my like one of my questions is, are we allowing them or are they just like shoehorning their opinion and their viewpoints into our lives as much as possible? Because if they were really allowing us or if we were allowing them, I should say, then they would put more weight onto things like the people's choice awards and the more popular actors. Like, I mean, let's, 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 um, a microcosm of this sort of, I guess that's, I'm not using that in totally the right way, but an example of this on a micro level 
is more like how Chris Pratt is such a popular actor, right? Yeah. But he's not in movies that they would deem worthy of their own time or their own accolades, so to speak. Yeah. Right. He, he, like the guys like Matthew McConaughey generally, like he, he kind of has to make it happen on his own. Right. Cause he, I don't know if you listen to his new book or, and I say, listen, because everybody should listen to it and not read it, believe it or not is how I feel. But I listened to it recently and he talks about how he like made a point to step out of like, what he would what what his typical role was right the the male lead in a rom-com and he was he was like i got to take on movies like dallas buyers club where he got the oscar and things like that and he, he really wanted to branch out but it wasn't easy for him he actually said it was a huge risk he was taking and that was mainly due to the fact that because hollywood had put him in his place and they thought that's all you are which is kind of where chris pratt is right now and other really popular actors but they they're all kind of limited to their specific role but if they would listen to us, maybe they would say like, well, Chris Pratt has to star in this movie or that movie. I don't know. Because when it comes to a monetary perspective, it's pretty clear who Hollywood does value, which is somebody like Chris Pratt. Because they're saying, well, if we really want to make money, we're actually going to put this person in. But when it comes to like a social commentary perspective, it's like, I don't know, Frances McDormand. All right. She's a pretty good actress. Let's get her. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's fascinating, even with Chris, especially with Chris Pratt, if you're using him as your example too, because Chris Pratt Parks and Recreation is a completely different character, a completely different type of person than Chris Pratt Jurassic World, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so there, there's something that shifted and, and there's something that shifted in saying the identity he wanted to be or he wanted to portray. I don't know. I haven't talked to Chris Pratt, so I don't know if it if, if you he haven't chose- I thought he hasn't responded to your texts. He doesn't respond to any of my lurking. Like, um, I leave all these comments on his Instagram and he doesn't be, he doesn't, he doesn't reach back out. Dang, and man. It's, it's, it's that freaking Hollywood elites, man. I know. Uh, I wish he would just respond to me. <laughs> no, <laughs> me but, too. but he, but at the same time changed his identity, like somehow re-engineered his whole identity and changed the kind of movies he could be in, changed the kind of actor he could be hollywood it wasn't giving the chris pratt of parks and recreation leading man roles that he's seeing now um he was the he was the funny supporting character actor no that's for sure and and, and, but that didn't come to his own like it wasn't because he made it happen right somebody saw him took a risk and thought you know who might be good in this role had they known that he's basically a conservative and a religious guy, that probably would have never happened. But who knows for sure, I guess. But, but yeah, but I think there. I, I Yeah, and I think there is this desperation, but it, the numbers bear out. You can't you can't ignore a number that's less than 10 million saying like, hey, this is this is the orienting this orients us around what's important in society, about what messages, what social issues we need to portray more in film. And that's the whole thing. Like a number of years ago, with like you said, with Oscars so white, we came we came out and they in Hollywood and even society. We're like, you know what? Yeah, we need to create more stories about underrepresented populations. So there's more to choose from out there and recognize good performances uh, that talk about different different social perspectives. And they went and did that. They spent a couple of years reengineering that. You look at this. I honestly thought going into the Oscars that this could be the first year where a white person did not win an acting award. It could have been, it was completely viable. Looking at Viola Davis, possibly winning best actress, Chadwick Boseman winning his, um, his, his best actor award. And then also having one, the supporting actor and supporting actress going to who they went to. It could have been a year where that could have happened, but it's also a year where we couldn't care less or we could care less. Is that we no, could. couldn't. We couldn't. We couldn't care less. Like yeah. we do, we don't care. You re-engineered it. Good job. None of us wanted to hear those. None of us want to see or hear those stories. Yeah. And arguably, like a lot of people, well, that's not fair. A lot of people wanted to hear that story. Those stories. Well, did they? I don't know. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, movie theaters. Did they go watch those stories, or do they want to see you? If you're going to do that kind of un- representation of underrepresented populations. Do we want to see that done in Black Panther, which handled it really well, uh, was loved by the Academy and and Hollywood industry, but also loved by by the the filmgoers too. Uh, and so when you do Why that, wasn't when you make, loved by the industry, what do you think? 
I technically it's an awesome movie. Technically, it's an awesome movie. It's it's got all the technical and, marks. And that you, you mean want. actual by by like tech like tech purposes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When okay. you talk about the visual effects, when you talk about the screenplay, yeah. when you talk, there was a number of performances. When you talk about the production design and the costumes. Those were all phenomenal, but Hollywood. Is that why you think Hollywood loved it, or do you think it was more kind of like they were? It was, it was a a statement on race and things like that. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think it's because they did. They made statements about race. They also they also featured a completely, almost completely underrepresented population uh, across most of the performances and most of the cast. Um, sorry, Andy Circus. Like you were one of the, the one of the few white actors in that movie. Um, and so like they um, they they who was they he? Were, was he? He wasn't was also, the main villain, but he was one of the villains, right? Yeah, yeah, one of the villains. And but and so there there were a couple, but but across the production too, there were a lot of uh, minorities and underrepresented populations that worked on that film too. And so it became this rallying point where we can make a blockbuster film. We can tell it, we can make a social commentary. Uh, and, and we can also, and we, it can be a really good technical film that, that filmmakers can rally behind for Oscar support. We though, if you're going to, if you're going to come away from something saying, Hey, Oscar's so white, we need to have more of these stories and you want America to care about them. Like my perspective, you need to tell more of those stories. And it's not, I know not all of us, I know not all of us like Harper love, um, love our superhero movies. Don't do it in a superhero movie. Do it in a fantasy film. Do it in something that. You think I love um, fantasy films? Like your Lord of the Rings movies. Or, Still well, not yeah. speaking my language, but that's okay. <laughs> what speaks your language? Society has to adapt to the, what, the movies that I like. I don't know, man. I mean, let's put it this what way. My, one of my favorite What's movies. One of my favorite movies ever is Warrior. Um, it's Wonderful Life is up there. Uh, I mean, that's probably the favorite, if I'm being honest. Um, Interstellar is up there. So yeah, yeah. Talk about Oscars so white. I'll so buy. have you seen Have you seen Stowaway on Netflix? No, never even heard of it. Dude, it's it's an it's a space movie. You like if you like space movies, like Interstellar, space movie, but it's got diverse representation. I do like sci-fi. I'm actually a, a big fan of sci-fi. I think there's a big difference between sci-fi and fantasy, personally, right? There's as there should be, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not just crapping all over fantasy. I think I think there's a place for it. People obviously get some sort of release and enjoyment out of it, and that's great. I I just don't. I draw the line. Uh, that's where sci-fi comes in, right? Because I do like the idea of things necessarily not like fiction. It's not, it's not that I draw a hard line at fiction because obviously science fiction is an extension of reality, I think, and what could be right. So they're hypothesizing in a fictitious way, um, based in some semblance of truth, in my opinion. Right. And that's where something like interstellar comes into play. But what's this, tell me a little bit about this, this other one that you were talking about. Oh, I, I haven't even seen it yet. I just when you were talking about space movies, um, when we're talking about so you're about in the business to, of recommending movies to me that you haven't even seen, then yeah, no, I'm in rec- I'm in a business of rec of criticizing you for, uh, for the category you like and not and not identifying representation that happens. You can't criticize the host. You can't criticize the host. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> we are done. Taking off <laughs> no, the mic. We're done here. That's it. I'm done with this. No, I I think. I, but uh, that's my point, though, is if Hollywood wants us to care about these underrepresented stories, um, th- there are niche audiences that will care. There are niche audiences that care about that intimately care about um, Trial of the Chicago Seven, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, oh, there's both- no question that they speak to some groups of people. Sure. Yeah. But, but that's but that's also the whole purpose of streaming films. So when you look at like a Netflix or a Hulu or an Amazon Prime, the whole purpose of those films is to produce tons of movies that have uh, that have what we would call a long tail. So we have that we have this kind of media and these kind of movies where I'm just going to produce a lot of stuff and it's going to speak to somebody. There's something for everybody out there, but millions and millions of people aren't going to watch every given movie unless there's one that we rally behind uh but but that's if you're if you're trying to champion streaming you're not championing a blockbuster the the, the streaming and streaming and blockbusters um, right it does, are, it's not monetarily it, it, wise right right yeah yeah 
No, you otherwise you'd have like five films on your streaming service that are all blockbusters, right? You wouldn't have but no, we we serve we serve some people who like um independent films. We serve people who like Korean foreign language films. We serve people uh who like urban urban films. We like people who do once in a while we'll put out a blockbuster like Will Smith's Bright when it first came out, right? Like but we That was a that's blockbuster? No, no, but it was more of a sci-fi, bigger budget action film. Gotcha. I mean, well, they, they're starting to have huge budgets though on streaming, so I guess sure. I don't know yeah. the difference between what you're saying between big budget and blockbuster. Well, blockbuster, the the definition of a blockbuster film used to be a film budget? that made over over. Yeah, made, so it's made, what it makes exactly. Made, yeah, yeah. Made or, over a hundred to two hundred million dollars in the theater. In the way that you're using it, though, the potential to make that, right? And so yeah. generally that requires a big budget. So I guess I get what a you're big, saying. A big production budget, a big media budget, a big well, promotional budget. Right? By definition, almost, it's really hard to get a blockbuster if you allow it to be streamed, right? Right, right, because that's not the purpose of streaming. Again, the purpose of streaming is to serve the independent interests and the, the individual interests of a viewer that has some kind of quirky interest in some rom-com family drama or so whatever it might be that they're, they're interested in being able to go find that whatever I'm in the mood for, I can find a movie for it. It's not to rally us behind four or five big movies that have these huge productions that we're all watching. Cause there aren't that many, there aren't that many unless like you count bird box that we all went and we all sat and watched when it first came out on Netflix. Like there's not really a Netflix movie that you stop and be like, Oh, everybody saw that the weekend it came out. No, we don't I actually never saw that one. Really? Yeah. It was okay. It was okay. I actually talked about that on the last episode too. How did Bird Box come up two episodes in a row? That's crazy. <laughs> um, Steve, let's we're about finishing this up. Do you have anything else that you want to share? Any other insights or or something that you might deem of any interest or something that your students might want to hear that you teach out at Alabama? Because I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a solid handful of listeners of the podcast that you have that <laughs> are also your students. It's just, there's no way it doesn't reach that far. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's reaching my students, like I I'm praying for them this week, they're going through their finals. And so it's, <laughs> but, but at the you same mean, time, you mean, like, you mean you're, re- you're reassured that they're in good hands. That's what you Yes. Mean. I'm confident. I'm completely confident that they're doing awesome and that they're at one of the best institutions you can go to for higher learning. But, nice. um, but at the same time, no, I think, I mean, the thing I want people to come away from is not like I, I get what you're saying, that Hollywood um, is becoming more and more crap and it's becoming more and more of this. We don't care what it has to say. We're going to find but uh, we're going to find what we like and what we individually want and what speaks to us. Um, but there is for me, the, the reason I stick with the Oscars, um, although it's hard after this last we didn't even talk much about the mechanics of the show. It was a weird, weird show. But at the same time, um just the fact that for me, it's the nominations when they come out with the nominations that that they identify they identify films we never would have thought of, we never would have heard of, we never would have known about, and some of those are movies that we should see. Like one of them was about like even even in the shorts, like the documentary short that won best documentary short is called Colette, and it's about the oldest living French resistance fighter from World War II and her going back to the concentration camp that her brother died in. Um, some of these stories that never would have, if it weren't for the Oscars and a few other award, uh, critics awards that, that are on the books throughout a year, like we never know some of these stories. And so that, that's where I like the Oscars is because it gives me something to be like, oh, there are some films out there that when I, when I'm done with my popcorn, um, there, there once in a while, there is a meaningful film, like, like Nomadland for, for, for whatever we want to say about it is a an awesome, beautiful film about human connection and human relationships and, and getting in touch with your own soul and reorienting yourself and the kind of person you want to be. And Minari, like about family and the strength of family and, and using that to, to push us through hard times, like what we've done this last year and and having family to help us cope and get through those things. If it weren't for the Oscars and weren't for some of these award shows that we, that we love to hate, like, would we, have actually ever known about these films and been able to watch these films uh, and under and receive their messages. I, I don't know. I, unless you're, unless you're an avid film goer. No, but again, the Oscars with less than 10 million people say, seeing it. And like you said, a lot of people haven't seen any of these movies. 
I actually read the other day that there were some people who didn't even know there was a new live action version of Pinocchio until they saw the Oscar and so they saw it until they watched the Oscars or saw the nominations They're like oh there's a movie named Pinocchio that has two awards so I mean there I don't even know that it's really good at that that's really the question is are are these award shows even raising our awareness like I hope they would I don't know so I actually agree with you ultimately I think there's there I mean there's there seems to be a balance that should exist at least. Um, and maybe it does or it doesn't, but that with that said, okay, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit here. Hollywood clearly is the gatekeeper for societal commentary. There's no question about that. Now I think kind of the response to them to some degree, like with the awards shows and kind of just the overall popularity of these movies that they tend to think that they nominate thinking that they are these great movies when in reality, most of society doesn't really think so is the the rejection is more. um, Let's see, how do I want to say this? It's there needs, there's this balance between what Hollywood decides we need to see versus what we do actually need to see. And it seems like the rejection of that is due to the idea that our society and our culture or the majority of the population feels like Hollywood may have abused that to some degree or tends to abuse it uh, on varying levels at a fairly constant level, or at least for the last few years. That would be my hypothesis, at least. I don't know for sure, but well, it does It does kind of seem like they hold the keys to what we should have a commentary on, because I think you're right. You make a great point that there are movies out there that, you know what, if we don't, we don't know about the plight of this person, that person or the other, that can really draw empathy and sympathy from us as a society. I do think that has a place and I do think it is important. But the problem is sometimes we like people feel like we can't trust Hollywood to make those decisions for us anymore. And I'm not sure how you fix that. Well, and also that's the irony of it, right? Is that Hollywood is this, it's this beacon that we all send a lot of our ideals and our social awareness and we get, uh, and we get these, these political commentaries that come from Hollywood about what we should care about and how we should act and the way we should feel about what's going on in society. And, and we all believe, we all believe earnestly that that is some kind of, some kind of orienting beacon, right? That like, that Hollywood has this huge influence on us. And then you turn around and and then then why don't we care about what films they like? Why do we only like their political commentary and think that's important, but we don't care about what kind of films they care about and none of us want to watch the show that where they tell us um and they give awards for those kind of things. Sure. Um and then right. but then the, the other thing that I think is really important to note though is when we get to social commentaries, a lot of people believe that the Oscars has this social commentary agenda. And especially coming from Oscar So White, and especially in a year where it's very viable that a white actor may not, could not, could have potentially not won an Oscar this year. Uh, we believe that there's some kind of social agenda, social commentary about diversity and representation. And we think that we think that Hollywood and the Academy are on this huge push to do this, right? And and we start, and you start to see it with the way the the film was produced, or the the Oscar telecast was produced, and some of the some of the movies that won. But then we keep, but then you look at it when you look at the actual voting population of the Academy and what they actually vote for. Um, who did they give awards to? They gave awards to Frances McDormand. They gave an award to a character of an old white woman wandering around the country. They gave an award to the oldest nominated white actor or no actor ever but he was an 83 year old white man we gave we gave he was best the oldest picture. ever yeah he's the oldest to get a yeah, nomination oldest, oldest actor to ever be nominated and win an award wow uh, anthony and, that, hopkins. and that's anthony hopkins for the uninitiated obviously yeah and an amazing movie amazing movie and fabulous performance but in nomadland we give best picture in a year where there are so many movies on there that have to do with social commentaries and social agendas. It does. Nomadland does have a social commentary, but there's very little diversity and diverse representation and underrepresented populations in that film. Um, And so this isn't just us as a population. This isn't just, this is the Academy. This is an Academy that's worked so hard and has championed the fact that they've become so diverse over the last years 
And even that diverse population is saying, well, yeah, but this is the best film. So what, what's kind of heartening to me is that that those agendas that we may see that, that Hollywood seems to be pushing, when it comes down to it and they, and they cast their ballots, they're objectively casting a ballot for what is the best performance and what is the best at, and what is the best picture um, rather than, Hey, we just need to make that. We just need to diversify this and we need to have more underrepresented people winning awards. Um, when it came down to it, that's not what happened. No, you're right. I can only imagine the backlash if La La Land would have actually won. <laughs> I mean, talk about white. That is as white bread as it gets. Anyway, with yeah, that, no Steve, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking the time coming on. And your insights are always valuable. And you're very smart and you're fun to talk to. And I really hope that people were able to enjoy this as much as I have. So, Thank you. It's been awesome hanging out with you. Look thank forward to you, doing man. it again. Best of luck out in uh, Alabama. Those students Roll are lucky tide. to have you. There's no question about that. Yeah. Roll <laughs> damn tide. <laughs> and go Cougars. Of, of course, go Cougars. Thank <laughs> you.